We've seen a lot of Spider-Man in the last few years. Into the Spider-Verse, Marvel Spider-Man, No Way Home, Marvel Spider-Man Miles Morales, Across the Spider-Verse, and the upcoming Marvel Spider-Man 2. And of this flood of Spider-Man content, most of it has been really good. It is truly a fantastic time to be a Spider-Man fan, and yet, after recently watching Spider-Man 2 again, I can confidently say that it remains the best Spider-Man movie ever made, and it's not because of nostalgia. The hardships Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker struggles with in this movie are so heartbreaking, compelling, and inspiring in a way no other Spider-Man movie has been able to match since. Spider-Man 2 took everything that was great about its predecessor and doubled down on it. Today, we're diving deep into the Spider-Verse and discussing why Spider-Man 2 remains the best Spider-Man story even after decades of both flawed and fantastic Spider-Man content. Before we get started, I just want to make it clear I'm not trying to say that all the recent Spider-Man stories are bad, or that there is not character growth in them, just that Spider-Man 2 is by far the most impactful to me. Across the Spider-Verse, No Way Home, and Marvel Spider-Man all do a great job of developing their main characters and giving some really moving moments. The theme of loss and sacrifice is a fundamental aspect of Spider-Man, and the biggest reason this character is so compelling. The story of Marvel Spider-Man in particular gets so much right about this, with two of the most devastating moments I've seen for Peter Parker that highlight why he's so special. The game spends its entire runtime establishing a close relationship between Peter and Otto. The final confrontation with his mentor Doc Ock plays out rather similar to the end of Spider-Man 1 with Green Goblin. Once he's defeated, he desperately attempts to blame his actions on his madness and pleads for Peter to help him, only for it to be revealed that the image of a scared victim is a facade. When Doc Ock realizes his act isn't working on Peter, he attempts to blackmail him with the threat of revealing his identity, and Peter responds with one of the best Spider-Man lines ever. You do what you think is best, Doc. That's all any of us can do, even when it hurts like hell. The other fantastic moment from this game is when Peter must make the choice to let Aunt May die in order to save the rest of the city. It's a beautiful parallel from his origin story. Uncle Ben dies because Peter was selfish, and Aunt May dies because that moment taught him to be selfless. No Way Home also has a great moment that also serves as a much needed reboot for the MCU's version of Peter Parker. I'll get into some ways the MCU's Spider-Man could have been done better in a bit, but regardless, No Way Home is a fantastic sequence where Peter makes a selfless choice to have Doctor Strange essentially erase him out of existence in order to stop a catastrophe. The best stories for this character show that Peter Parker has to lose in order for Spider-Man to win. And that brings us to the Peter Parker from the Raimi trilogy, who more than any other version feels like a real human that makes devastating mistakes, faces real consequences for his shortcomings, and must find it completely within himself to solve his problems and do what's right. No one comes to save him, and especially in Spider-Man 2, he has to dig deep and accept that he must be Spider-Man, even though it destroys his life and any chance of having personal relationships. He becomes isolated from everyone he cares about, has his reputation destroyed, and struggles just to get by, all while taking a beating as he attempts to protect New York. The amount of L's this man takes in this movie is just astonishing. Right off the bat in the movie, he's fired, unable to be with MJ, his friendship with Harry is strained at best, and he's being slandered by the press of Spider-Man. As the movie goes on, this gets progressively worse and worse for him, and you see him slowly become overwhelmed from the toll being a hero is taking on him. He's failing in college, can't pay rent for his shitty apartment, is thought of by everyone in his life as unreliable, lazy, or selfish. All this accumulates in one of the worst days of his life, when he goes to the planetarium to take pictures for J. Jonah Jameson. During the event, everything spirals out of control for him, and you see him really start to break for the first time. He gets told off by MJ, publicly slapped and humiliated by Harry, 
and is forced to take a picture of the love of his life getting engaged to a much more successful man. Then he falls while swinging, and you see him despair as he picks up a newspaper claiming Spider-Man is in league with Doc Ock. And after all this, you completely understand why he would give up. He's unappreciated, looked down on, and endlessly punished by being Spider-Man. Peter struggling so hard in this movie to live up to Uncle Ben's legacy as his life falls apart is gut-wrenching. The domino effect of Spider-Man ruining every aspect of his life makes the scene when he finally throws the suit away such an earned moment. It's both shocking and understandable to see Peter ignore those that need his help over and over, and it's a pretty impactful moment when he still saves a child from the burning building, but doesn't realize till after that someone else was in there and died. Just being a good person as Peter isn't enough because if he was Spider-Man, he could have saved everyone. Seeing his growth over the course of the movie as he learns to accept that he has to let go of the things he wants most in his life in order to fulfill the responsibilities that have been put on his shoulders is really impactful, and Aunt May is a huge reason the story works as well as it does. She's the only person Peter is able to rely on throughout his movies. The acting for this character is so good that to see her struggle is really crushing. She's a truly inspiring person that has little help to offer outside of her support and wisdom, but gives all she has to guide Peter on the right path. The scene where she tears up and begs Peter to take the $20 they both desperately need makes me tear up a bit. And that's why she's the perfect mentor in these movies. She inspires Peter to be a better man and helps him find the strength in himself to persevere through challenges that would cripple others. By the time she gives her fantastic hero in all of a speech, she clearly knows that Peter is Spider-Man and essentially tells them that he is a person that can inspire others and that she knows he can be someone selfless enough to let go of the things he wants in life to do what's right. And on top of her role in helping Peter find the inspiration to jump back into Spider-Man despite the damage it does to him, she also just feels like a real person throughout this trilogy. Moments like when Peter wakes her up and she thinks it's Ben, or when he tells her it was his fault that Uncle Ben died, and she just silently walks away, really sells this is a complex character. She forgives Peter later because she's a very understanding person, but that doesn't mean she doesn't have moments where she's hurt and reacts harshly in the moment. And that's all to say, this is just, by far, hands down the best on-screen Aunt May performance I've seen. She's a wise, understanding, and strong person. Peter has almost no guidance in his life, and Aunt May gives him just the right amount in this movie. She solves none of his problems for him, but helps him become someone that can bear the weight of being a hero. The biggest problem I have with the MCU Spider-Man is that it never feels like he's on his own and has no help. Until No Way Home, it doesn't feel like being Spider-Man causes him to struggle in his real life. He isn't really poor. They never mention Uncle Ben's death. He doesn't actually have his relationship with Aunt May, Ned, or MJ damaged by his selfless actions in any meaningful way. And until he's framed by Mysterio, it doesn't feel like his identity being revealed as Peter Parker would really destroy his life. In fact, it'd probably make it better. And it doesn't feel like him being Spider-Man is all that necessary in a world full of heroes. On top of this, while I do enjoy the dynamic Peter and Tony Stark have in the MCU movies, having Iron Man be his mentor really makes it impossible for them to get this character right and I feel like Captain America would have been a much better choice to develop a mentor relationship with Peter. Iron Man being his father figure means Peter will never be poor, never have serious problems that Iron Man couldn't fix, and will have a Spider-Man suit that is actually kinda just an Iron Man suit, not even created by his own hands. If they had gone down the route of Steve Rogers teaching him, I think a lot of these problems would have been fixed. For one thing, Captain America's philosophy lines up to be pretty similar to Spider-Man's, and it would make sense that Peter would model himself after Cap, especially considering that in Civil War, Captain America actively chooses to go up against pretty much the whole world to do what he thinks is right, 
even though it leads to him being hunted and having to live in hiding for years. In the Civil War storyline, being Captain America actively destroys Steve Rogers' life. This lines up perfectly with the most fundamental aspect of the character of Spider-Man, and Steve would have been a great person to teach Peter about great power coming with great responsibility. It would have been really fitting to see Peter be inspired by him and strive to follow in those footsteps. In addition to this, Peter would still be on his own and rely on himself. He can't call on Captain America to save him because Captain America is on the run as a wanted criminal. To make this even better, write it so that Steve brought Spider-Man to the airport battle and is the only one that knows his identity, so now Spider-Man is wanted as well in his first solo movie, and if anyone finds out who he is, he'd be arrested. J. Jonah Jameson could be running his propaganda as well and turn the city against him right out of the gate. I mean, No Way Home fixed a lot of this by the end, but it shouldn't have taken till the end of the third movie to give him a fundamental part of his origin story. I, I got off track there, but getting back to Spider-Man 2. The reason I love how beaten down we see Peter get isn't just because I enjoy dark stories or depressing themes in movies. It's because that's what makes it so inspiring to see him get back on his feet. No one helps him, he doesn't find a way to get around some of his problems and still gets what he wants as Spider-Man, and life doesn't get easier for him. He just becomes a stronger person. He regains his resolve and finds new motivation to be Spider-Man outside of just his guilt over Uncle Ben's death. It's a story that anyone who has found themselves drowning in their struggles can relate to, which includes just about everybody on the planet. And what's really great about this is that it's only after he commits to helping people again, knowing that it's a thankless job and that it means he can't be with the love of his life, that life improves for him. In the beautiful train sequence, he gets to see that what he does has a real impact on the people he saves, and in return, they have his back as well. It also shows that despite the slander against him, the people do love and appreciate what he does for him. Mary Jane is shown to be a pretty awful person throughout this trilogy, especially in this movie with the way she uses John Jameson to get back at Peter, but he is also rewarded at the end of the story when she sees he is Spider-Man and can finally be honest with her about why they can't be together. She says the risk of being with him is her choice, Peter gets his happy ending, and the support he's been in desperate need of this entire movie. He gets some of what he wants by being a person that's willing to let those things go, and all this deep character growth is beautifully capped off in the final confrontation with Doc Ock when he gets through to him using Otto's own words and the words that Aunt May used to inspire Peter. And that takes us to the other fantastic aspect of this movie, which is the villain. Otto Octavius is a great counter to Peter because he has a very similar philosophy as Spider-Man. His creed is a dark reflection of the famous, with great power comes great responsibility line. The only difference between his and Peter's outlooks is that Otto looks down on those he tries to help and helps others with an air of arrogance and pride to it. He has good intentions, but he sees himself as a gift to mankind and thinks his work is above questioning. When you couple that with the inhibitor chip breaking, bringing out and amplifying his worst tendencies, and the death of his wife due to his own failure, you get a very compelling antagonist. In a lot of ways, he's simply an improved version of the Green Goblin from the first movie. He is also a scientist that becomes insane by his own creation, as someone that Peter looks up to, and garners more empathy from the audience. While Norman Osborn is still a very good villain, I don't think that his showing in Spider-Man 1 puts him above Doc Ock. If you factor in his role in No Way Home, I think Green Goblin is definitely the best of the Raimi villains, but between these two movies, Octavius takes the cake. Though Norman is sympathetic in some ways by being a down-on-his-luck scientist that is getting booted from his own company, every action he takes in the movie is a selfish one. He neglects Harry, treats Mary Jane like crap, kills countless people, and genuinely enjoys torturing Spider-Man. While Norman is certainly pitiful, he's not very likable. And I say that as someone who absolutely loves Green Goblin. He's super entertaining, and I quote him more than is probably healthy for a real-life person too. But Doc Ock is just far more likable, and him being a dark reflection of Spider-Man makes the conflict of the movie much more engaging. 
The mentor relationship with him and Peter is also established a lot better in Otto's case, and it feels like there's an actual connection between them, while Norman and Peter never really seem like they know each other that well. It's more like Norman just kind of sees Peter as the son he could have had. In addition to Otto having a bit of a deeper connection with Peter, the design and use of the mechanical arms is simply just scarier than the goblin suit, which again is something to change in No Way Home, though the scene where he screams in the burning building always scared the hell out of me as a kid. But Doc Ock's scene in the hospital is simply far more frightening though, and you can clearly see the horror influence of Sam Raimi in the sequence. I also love the way Peter doesn't think of Otto as Doc Ock in the climax of the movie, because he knows the person he's talking to isn't the man he idolizes, and this really helps sell his redemption arc as he mentally fights for control of the arms. If he didn't die here, you could really see a what-if scenario where he helps Spider-Man in the future. And there's something about the action scenes in these Raimi movies that just feels so much better to watch than the CGI fest of the future Spider-Man movies. The hits feel real, it feels like Peter is really getting the crap beat out of him. Not just in this movie, but in Spider-Man 1 in that last fight with Green Goblin and he is hitting him with bricks, it just feels like he is getting demolished physically. You see it in his face, his mask is torn off, he's bloody. It's a similar effect to when Bane fights Batman in The Dark Knight Rises and there's no music, nothing dramatic, it's just two guys going at it and it feels so physical. And that's another thing I actually really like about No Way Home is how they brought back that physical fighting with Green Goblin and Tom Holland's Peter. But against the fights with Doc Ock too, I mean that train sequence fight is just so well choreographed, it feels like they're playing chess. I mean Doc Ock throws the clock hand tower at Peter and Peter catches it, throws it back, they get on the train, and Doc Ock is attacking him and tries to draw him in with the webs but Peter turns it into a kick. So Doc Ock grabs civilians and throws them, but Peter saves them like it's nothing. So then Doc Ock climbs under the train, and it just keeps going, and it's more like a, a battle of intelligence and wits than just straight power, you know? And then Doc Ock finally realizes, I can just set this train going, he's gonna have to go save them, and that's that. And it's just, it just shows how smart they are, you know? Doc Ock defeated him with his brain, you know? He wore him out stopping the train, and then he just walked in and took him. But just the way the fighting's done in these movies makes it feel like Peter is really the underdog in a lot of cases. It, it feels so much more like he is actually about to die because you feel the weight of the punches getting thrown at him. It's just such a nice touch and I really miss this kind of thing in superhero movies. I think that pretty much covers the straight up objective reasons I think Spider-Man 2 tells a story that touches on the root of the character better than any of the other on-screen adaptations. It's a deep exploration of the fundamental philosophy of the character, and pits him against a villain whose outlook gives a really interesting contrast to it. It really captures the hardships of Peter trying to juggle his responsibilities as life crumbles due to him being Spider-Man. And it shows a really genuine and heartfelt arc where he finds the strength to keep going no matter what gets thrown at him, and lets you see why this is a character that is so inspiring to so many people in real life. With that said, I want to talk about some other things that I like and dislike in this movie that are rather subjective, with the number one thing that I personally find really refreshing being the comedy. After getting burnt out on so many MCU movies that refuse to take themselves seriously, it is so nice to go back and watch something that strikes just the right balance. The movie's comedy feels much more subtle and natural and it's inserted in a way that doesn't undercut the tone of the scenes they're in. The movie is a little campy, but it always reels itself back in to give you a heartfelt moment. For instance, there's this great gag where Peter's at the planetarium and every time he goes to grab a drink or a snack off a tray, it gets taken by somebody else. And it's one of the darkest moments in the movie actually, when a ton of bad things happen to Peter in a row. 
and instead of messing up that sad moment, this gag kind of piles onto it while still being funny, and it shows Peter can't catch a break, even the smallest glimpse of what could be considered a break. When he finally gets a cup, he tries to drink from it, and it's a used cup that's empty. I mean, <laughs> that's comedy. <laughs> Another little moment I really liked is that when Peter's in a high-stakes situation trying to stop the train from going off the tracks, the guy behind him is giving him attitude about it like, any more bright ideas? <laughs> you know, it's just little natural funny moments that happen throughout serious scenes. And there's no like punchy quips or anything, it's just subtle in the background. And I also enjoy most of the campy aspects of this film, though there is one or two moments that I wish were played a little more seriously. Like, there's a way this woman screams when Doc Ock is climbing the building, and it lingers on, the shot lingers on her for like five seconds, and it, it just kind of takes you out of it, because they're doing such a good job of making Doc Ock seem scary in the scene, and that just makes it a little ridiculous to me. And also, another touch that I think is kind of dumb is when they're fighting in the bank, and he opens the vault, and it's just bags with the dollar sign on them in the vault, you know? that It looks like it's a Wile E. Coyote cartoon, you know? And aside from a little bit too much campiness in certain spots, there's a couple gripes I have with the plot of this movie. Like, when Doc Ock needs to get Peter to contact Spider-Man, and he approaches him by throwing an entire fucking car through the window of the cafe, right next to him, and then later in the scene, he hurls him into a brick wall. Like, if Peter didn't happen to be Spider-Man, he'd be dead. Like, what would you do after that? And all you have to do to fix this scene is have him destroy a different wall, throw the car, into a different part of the building. You know, there's a million different ways you can have him break his way into the room without having him attempt to kill Peter Parker for no reason. Another thing that doesn't make sense is when Harry somehow knows where Otto is making his new reactor at the end of the movie. There is no reason for Otto to tell him that, especially when he keeps Mary Jane so that she doesn't call the police on him and turn him in. This one's a little more of a stretch to fix, but I think if you just have it so that Otto tells Harry to meet him down by the, the warehouse or the shipyard or something so that he doesn't make a scene going into the city to his uh, penthouse. But you would also have to write it in a way that exchanging Peter and Otto is a separate thing. So maybe Otto gives Harry Peter somewhere and then Harry gives him the tritium. So Peter would have to wake up, talking to Harry and leave and then come back later and talk to Harry again and find out where he made the tritium drop. And then Peter would go look for Otto around there and pick up his trail or something like that. And that's really convoluted, so it would take a bit more of a rewrite, but it doesn't really make sense the way it is right now. I mean, I'm just spitballing here. If you guys can think of a better way to make this happen smoothly, drop it in the comments. And the last kind of gripe I have with it is that you could argue that Otto robbing the bank, Peter and Aunt May happened to be in that day trying to get a loan, is extremely unlikely. Not, you, it's not that you could argue it, it is. It's astronomical, the odds they would end up in the same bank. But I don't necessarily think I would call it a plot hole, because it could happen, you know? <laughs> it could happen. And the other thing that bothers me is that Mary Jane is just a terrible person in all three of these movies. In the first movie, she cheats on Harry and kisses Spider-Man while having feelings for Peter. In Spider-Man 2, she strings along John Jameson the whole time and gets engaged with him just to get back at Peter. And you can definitely say that from her eyes, Peter is being ridiculous and kind of a diva, to be honest. But that certainly does not justify manipulating and stringing somebody else along in a relationship just to get what you want from somebody else. 
And in the third movie, again, Peter is being ridiculous. You know, he's super cocky, super full of himself. He's not supportive. But she goes and kisses Harry, like, secretly, instead of talking about it or breaking up with Peter or something. She just cheats. She's just consistently the worst in these movies. And it's not really a problem with the plot. I mean, I understand Peter can love who he loves, all that stuff. And I think as a love interest, this plotline does work for Spider-Man too, especially with how hard it is, all the ways he gets beaten up by this relationship, and then at the end it's finally made better because she understands where he's coming from because she realizes he's Spider-Man. And it's still nice to see him get with her at the end, but it would work a lot better if she was a likable person. And I think the casting of Tobey Maguire is just fantastic for these movies. I mean, I understand some people don't like him as Spider-Man, but I love him. Especially when you stack him up next to Tom Holland and Andrew Garfield. It feels like Tobey fits the role of Peter Parker so much better. He's genuinely a big nerd, and he looks like it, you know? He's not ugly, but he certainly looks like a dork. I mean... Also, his acting with his facial expressions during the fights, you know, I know he makes a stupid face when he stops the train, but that's a face someone would make when under extreme stress. You know, he looks like a real person. He doesn't look like a Hollywood star acting as much. He feels grounded like the way Spider-Man should. I mean, if you look at Tom Holland or Andrew Garfield, those are both two really objectively attractive people. You know, it's hard to buy that their life is super hard as dorks and they get bullied in school and stuff, because, I mean, they just wouldn't be. And I think Andrew Garfield acts way too cool in his movies especially, and that's why, um, well it's not really why they suck, they suck because they're written bad. But they fix a lot of Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man No Way Home because they stack him up next to Toby and Tom, and they treat Andrew like he's the lamest one, so it kind of plays down into that lame aspect that Peter Parker's supposed to have. And that's why I feel like he's one of the best parts of No Way Home. And that's not to say Andrew Garfield or Tom Holland aren't good actors, they're both fantastic. I just think Toby is a better pick for Peter Parker specifically. But anyway, despite the few things that I feel are hiccups, what really makes this my favorite of these movies is the way it digs into the root of the character. I like the Miles Morales movies, and I like No Way Home too, for the most part. But I think Spider-Man just works far better when he's on his own with little help rather than on a team. And that's what really holds me back from enjoying the MCU and Spider-Verse movies as much as I enjoy the Raimi films. I know everyone has their favorite Spider-Man movie though, and please tell me what your favorite is in the comments and why you love it so much. I do like certain things from most Spider-Man movies, and I think some of the other versions are also pretty good. So please keep it respectful, but let me know why you agree or disagree. And let me know what other Spider-Man movies you want to see me talk about in more detail. If you enjoyed this episode of Headcanon, please, please, please consider dropping a like and subscribing so you don't miss future videos, and because it would just make me feel good. I'd appreciate it. I really would. Thank you all so much for watching, and I'll catch you all in the next episode of Headcanon.